Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. Happy to be back with you again today. I'm your host, Dr. Alan. What do snowballing cash flow Reoccurring liquidity events, time, and syndication have in common. With today's guest, we'll find the answer as we take a journey through portfolio growth and property management innovation. Enlightened investors as busy, passionate professionals, fulfilled in the calling of your work, you may have come to realize that the hope of developing financial independence has taken a backseat to the priorities of following your passions. If you can identify with this, as I certainly can, I have good news. Steve Talker Capital is an investment company designed for passionate, fulfilled professionals like you and me to help us develop passive streams of income built on solid, passive real estate investments. Go to our website, stevetalker.com, and get your free one-page concise guide to the 10 steps to passive real estate investing. Our guest, Josh Sterling, began his real estate investing career with one single family home in 2009 and has grown his portfolio to over 900 units. In 2012, he founded Epic Property Management, which has set a new standard in innovative property management solutions. Josh, before we delve into passive real estate investing, briefly take us back to those humble formative years to just give us a foundation as to where you came from to get to where you are today. Sure. Uh, thanks for having me, Alan. Yeah, a quick background was I started my professional career, my sights being set on being an airline pilot. I went to college for that, got hired on with the airlines right out of college and really thought I had a plan of life set in front of me. You know, I'd always been told to go to college, do good in school get a good job and uh, buy a home for yourself. And that's the American dream. So I, I did just that. And a couple of years in, I found myself in the midst of the last uh, recession, the 08 era, and all those steps that I had done to follow the American dream, if you will, weren't panning out so well. I had a, a home I bought for myself that was 50% upside down. I had a career that I thought would be a, a great paying job and, and stable. And I found myself nearly out of a job and with a huge pay cut looming just in, in order to keep the company in business. So I found myself with kind of no control over my financial or, or well-being in general going forward and, and was looking for places where I could find that stability, that security, and, and uh, that income. Really, in a pinch, turned to real estate. It, it seemed to make sense, especially at the time. And uh, I started with uh, just one single-family house back in 09, mainly out of frustration and, and lack of any other ideas of what to do. Well, your story is not unsimilar to many of us, and uh, particularly my story. I had a very, very difficult time in 2008 as well. I was in my mid-50s, and I thought I was set for a very good and comfortable retirement. And lo and behold, recession came out of nowhere, at least from my perspective. And I found myself having to start all over again, which was not a pleasant experience in your 50s. 
So I'm glad you started that out as a much younger man, and I'm sure you're in a much better position today than what I even find myself. So tell us about these first endeavors. You started with a single family home. And so just fill us in on the details of that beginning process, where it all began and what was the deal like? Yeah. So, you know, I found myself frustrated, nowhere to go. And really my only uh, schooling education and training was in uh, aviation, which doesn't bode well for making money when there's no jobs in aviation. So I scrapped together some some 0% credit cards. Unfortunately, cash was not something that was available to me. So I found some 0% credit cards, uh, some personal lines of credit, scraped together a few bucks here and there that I could and went out and bought my first single family. That worked okay, rented it out. I thought, wow, there's something to this. Went ahead and and did the same thing again. And I did a rinse and repeat on something along those same lines of of borrowing unsecured debt, which is the only things I could get my hands on. I couldn't get a mortgage or anything. I didn't have the debt to income to do that at the time. So unsecured debt, and I purchased my first couple single families that way, which really led to the the first turning point for us was got up to somewhere in the five, six single family home range. And I found a a lender who was willing to package those together and and put them into a commercial blanket loan to refinance out uh, the the equity that I had in those properties. That really set us towards the path of growth and the snowball. Well, fill us in a little bit on the details of, let's just start with that first home that you started with. What type of home was it? What kind of rental market was And in 2008, there were a lot of landlords who were absent tenants because it wasn't just homeowners that were hit hard by 2008, but lots of tenants had to leave their homes and move in with friends and family. And so landlords were hurting as well. So how did you manage to make that work with what sounds to me like a 100% loan on a property and still make it cash flow? Sure. Well, a couple of things. First of all, it was actually very easy to find tenants and that may have been market specific. You know, one advantage I had was I was flying for the airlines. And so I was traveling all over really North America, but certainly all over the United States and seeing different markets. And where I started and where we're still really based today in Southeast Michigan, it's a really unique market. You know, home prices were very low in relation to the amount of rent you could achieve. So the price to rent ratio, you could say was, was strong here. And that was appealing to me based on some numbers in comparison and some other markets I, I visited and looked into. So that that helped a lot. To give you some basic idea, I think on that first house, we could rent it for maybe it was $800 at the time. You know, the rents from quite a bit since then, but let's say it was 800 bucks, I think. And I paid 40000 for it. That first house needed, well, at the time, I thought nothing. You know, that's, you learn and grow a better product over time. But so basically, it was a, a true 2% rule if you look at it that way. Going forward, we got a little more refined in our processes and started buying properties that needed a rehab and quote unquote flipping them to ourselves. So you buy a house for 30, go in and put 20,000 into it, you're all in for 50. Well, it's going it to appraise for 80,000. And we would do that just packaging them together four, five, six or more at a time. And effectively, we can pull out more than the capital we put in. They would still cash flow because of the strong rents in relation to the purchase prices in this market. And then we would recycle that capital and, and still own the property. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. As an industry-leading, relationship-focused, design-build construction firm, Mosaic Construction has worked in many different asset classes from multifamily to retail, medical, industrial, and commercial. 
Mosaic Construction Works to execute interior and exterior renovations with their team of trades and project managers. Their experience with value-add improvements has resulted in increased ROI and long-term value of the assets. They work nationally in partnership with local trades to deliver thoughtful, problem-solving construction management solutions to all their clients. For a personal no-obligation consultation, call Ira Singer, 773-491-3145, or email Ira at mosaicconstruction.net. You can also find Ira on LinkedIn. So you were able to travel around the country and see different markets. So I guess when you were flying around and you had your layovers, I guess you were spending your time investigating real estate prospects in these different places that you were at. In addition to that, it sounds to me like you were educating yourself in different ways. A lot of people could have been doing the same things that you were doing and not really seeing the opportunities right there in front of them. So what were you doing to actually educate yourself and inform yourself to know that you actually had something to go forward with there. Sure. So yeah, anything I could get my hands on. Back in those days, there wasn't the bigger pockets of the world out there. I remember finding a forum called The Creative Investor, and it was like a primitive version of Bigger Pockets. I spent a lot of time on there. And I mean, it was probably, you know, one one thousandth of the size. So it was very limited what you could get on there. But it, it helped. And I was reading books and and out, you know, trying to figure this out. I mean, I really started with no knowledge whatsoever. I don't have a formal education and answer business management or anything like that. I mean, I, I know how to be an airline pilot. So it was it was starting from scratch and there was quite a bit of trial and error in the first couple of years, certainly. Well, as you gained experience and also as you were gaining substantial equity, it sounds to me like you were gaining about 100% equity almost out of one of those properties. And so that really did help you to snowball that effect uh, forward there. And you were also educating yourself. So when did the light go on that, in fact, single family homes can be a nice way to get started, but it's very difficult to really snowball that into a place where you can really have a a source of independent income. So when did the lights go on? How did they go on? And how did you make those transitions? Sure. Well, yeah, like you said, it's tougher to scale single family. I still love single family. And if I could buy the the deals that I could buy back, you know, even five, six years ago, I would certainly be doing that. I've probably got 120 or so single family units and they perform excellent. There's a lot of benefit to them, truthfully. The scale issue, it's kind of multifaceted. Number one, it's it's hard to find product. But I started realizing that a few years in. And number two, it's it's really difficult to manage. And that's something that that we've geared Epic Property Management towards is managing scattered site properties. So single family up through mid-sized multifamily. And once that operation got put in place, it allowed us a lot better performance than I think most people are able to see in those scattered site properties with some of the things we do. So the light bulb really went off when I realized I wasn't scaling quickly. It took me probably two and a half years to get from one to 20 units and they were all single family. And about that time, somewhere in the 20, 25 unit range, I I came across the 24 unit apartment building and and I saw that I doubled in size overnight, which was a great thing for scale, but a very difficult thing for the growing pains of running the actual management operation on your own. I mean, if you imagine most businesses that double in size overnight, we did not have the systems in place, meaning basically I didn't have the procedures or the, the help to be able to run that. So it created its own problems as well. 
Well, tell us a little bit about those groin pain problems, uh, what they were specifically, and what were the solutions you finally found in growing through that? Sure. So back in those days, I was running almost everything on my own. When I got to, let's say at that point, when we added the 24 unit first apartment building, put us somewhere around 50 doors. I was working a full-time job. At that point, I had, I had switched careers to air traffic control. was a little more stable, but I was working a full-time job. I had one part-time person doing some showings, helping a little bit with them. But the realization was with that big addition doubling in size was that I didn't have time for all this. And even if I did have time for all this, what's the point of doing it if you're going to work in that business every day? I'd already had a, an okay, decent career and, and I would basically be replacing that with a job. And so another turning point there was I need to build systems and procedures so that I can get out of the day-to-day. You know, much like if, you're, if your listeners have read the book, The E-Myth, I found myself right in that trap and working 16-hour days, even doing maintenance calls or answering phones or doing showings or helping clean a property or doing a lease signing, all these things that really needed to be hired out. And so about that point was the, the foundation for putting the systems in place to really build a business and not just have a job. And from that point on, I, I started working the process that, that I'm still working today. We were about, we, we manage about 1,100 and just over 1,100 units. And we've got a total of four offices and somewhere around 35 employees. So we built that business up from, from me being the first one and a part-time assistant to that. And we'll continue to grow from there. So did you quit your day job at that point in time or were you still uh, continuing to work the day job? No, I wasn't that smart, unfortunately. If I would have, I'd probably have a lot more units right now. But uh, I waited years and years. I didn't quit the day job until 2016 when I probably already had 150 or 200 doors on my own. I was managing 40 or 50 more. Had a couple employees working. And once I quit my day job, it allowed the, the business to accelerate because just as you would imagine, I could spend most of my time focusing on growing the business. And thankfully, I, I was able to do that, got quite a bit better at, at building systems, putting procedures in place and got myself out of the day-to-day. But there was a quite the period there, five, six years when it was 16-hour days, seven days a week. Didn't look like an end in sight. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Would you ever invest all your money in a single stock? Very unlikely. Yet, investors are willing to risk $50,000 to $100,000 in a single property in real estate all the time. Avestor is the world's first customizable real estate investment platform. Investors can build their own custom portfolios selecting investments across multiple asset classes such as single-family homes, multifamily, student housing, self-storage, and shopping centers. You can also invest across multiple markets and different time frames. Avestra also enables other real estate entrepreneurs and syndicators to build and use Avestra's infrastructure and cloud platform to create their own customizable real estate funds. To learn more, visit us at avestrainc.com. Avestra, real estate investing made simple. I can imagine. That's a lot of single-family homes to be looking after, and even that number of units with multifamily units, that's that's quite a lot to have to look after if you're looking after it yourself. You had said earlier in the conversation that there are a lot of advantages to single-family, and you still like those, and you are actually still in the market for single-family if you can find a deal and right opportunity. So what are the things about single-family that you find attractive and that still continues to lure you into investing in single family? 
Sure. Well, I'll start with, uh, I think a common maybe misconception in real estate investing is unit count. I was one that always wanted a set number of units. Uh, that was always my goal was a unit count. I realized a few years back that it's not really about unit count. It's, it's about cash flow. Really what I care about is what's my net monthly cash flow each month. And I bet you most of your listeners have the same idea. So from that standpoint, it doesn't really matter if it's single family, multifamily, triple net, retail, industrial, whatever it may be. And, and so for single family, the, the things that are really nice about it are, are number one, the desirability. So we find that most of our clientele, we, we tend to cater to a little bit higher end client that's going to want granite and stainless appliances and nicer hardwood and things like that. So it would either be a, a B plus or an A minus apartment community or just a nice rehab single family home. We, we find with that, which rents quite a bit more in single family. So we, we've seen you know, such a strong demand for them. And then some basic things, like it's easy to pass utility costs back to the tenant, the lawn service and upkeep it is, is on the tenant, the lack of noise complaints from or, or tenant on tenant complaints that you get in a multifamily dwelling. So, so you can offset a lot of your costs. And then some of your workload is also removed in addition. Well, that's an interesting perspective. Not many people I talk to are interested in continuing their single family investing once they reach uh, oftentimes 10 to 11 or so properties they're ready to shift over into multifamily and totally and completely leave single family investing behind. But I can certainly see from what you are sharing there that there certainly are some benefits to that. Higher level of tenant, happier tenants, less complaints from tenants, and certainly the ability to be able to shift a lot of those maintenance costs to the tenant. I could see that in the right markets, that could increase your cash flow considerably. That and it's, it's very easy for us to add a single family unit. I mean, I'm not out visiting the properties. We've got a project management team that walks them. So if someone comes to us with a reasonable deal on a single family where I can extract my equity back out of it almost right away, then it takes nothing to add it into the machine and, and have that. So it's, it's not we're focusing much energy on growing that side of the business. It just happens when it happens. Yeah. I can see how that could be an advantage. Certainly, once you have the machine in place, so to speak, there, it would be ideal to continue to grow it from that. You certainly are going to have to be in the right markets, though, because there are, and like you said, even in Michigan, you're finding it more difficult to find properties that meet your criteria, which is a little surprising to me. And not, I'm a little bit surprised that Michigan is turning that around so that uh, rental cost and cost of purchasing homes are coming more in line with one another. What do you think accounts for that? You know, I, th I think you got a couple of things. I was actually building single family to add to the rental portfolio back about three years ago and decided to get out of it. One major reason was the availability of trades, therefore the cost of, of the trades going up. Like year over year, our, the cost for the flat work almost doubled, 90% um, increase, things like that. Now, you know, with, with lumber shortages and, and labor shortages, it's much, much worse. So I think you've seen the supply of less expensive homes virtually grind to a halt. And, and by less expensive, most homes in our market are one hundred dollars to $250,000. So it's very difficult, if not impossible, to build that home anymore. For, for that price. So I, I think you see the, the left fly and then the demand has just been steady or increasing and, and that's going to create a upward pressure on pricing. 
Yeah. Well, you built the property management company from the need actually to manage your own properties. Tell us about the building of that company and what are some of the innovative processes that you have put in place as you have built that company? Sure. So, you know, as we started, it was somewhere around that bottleneck I'd, I'd hit where I'd found myself really overwhelmed with somewhere around 50 doors and a full-time job and very little help. And, and you know, it was just like anything else, I think some of the greatest things can be built out of frustration. So I went out and I said, okay, what do I need to do to alleviate some of this stress that I feel, some of this overwork that I'm doing? And it's sort of this. Every day, I'd write a list down of everything that I did that was business-related rental property related. And after a week or two of making that list, I went through and I picked up the, the low-hanging fruit, if you will, the, the things that I thought, hey, I, I could really have anybody go show a house or I could have really anybody do a lease signing or whatever those things were. And I, I started picking a low-hanging fruit and I hired someone for that. And that's how we were formed in our, in our first you know, year or two. Hired people just to pick off the things that I thought I could get off my plate. Being a little bit of a control freak, I, uh, I had some things that I was really too slow to let go. So some things basic like answering the phones, but I was afraid that you know, with the inbound call, somebody that wasn't trained or wasn't knowledgeable wouldn't be able to handle that as well as I would. You know, and there's a little bit of truth to that. But the thing is, you're not going to grow if you can't give it up. So going forward, I worked hard to find ways to give up those things that even I thought I could do better, or I was the only one that could do. I wrote systems and procedures to have to train people. You know, with my background being in airline real checklist driven procedure driven so we would write scripts for everything checklists for everything and that made me feel like somebody else would be able to handle it if you just follow a checklist i mean a monkey could do that right so that's what we did and, and slowly built up and and started hiring receptionists and then leasing agents and then cleaners and then i needed a manager to manage those people and then i needed a maintenance manager and then i needed more maintenance techs so i needed a project manager and we grew and grew and grew. And really where it's come is, is the business today looks like if you picture a, a pyramid, I, I try to sit at the top and it's going to be very hard to get there. And at the at the bottom, at the entry level, you're going to have your, your entry level people, your uh, leasing agents, your receptionists, your maintenance techs, your cleaners, things like that. Above them, you're going to have a management layer. So you're going to have somebody that oversees those receptionists, somebody that oversees the maintenance techs, somebody that maybe oversees the leasing department or manages a certain office or whatnot. And then above that, we're going to have a director. And in our business, there's two directors. So I look at that pyramid that's split down the middle, that there's an admin side and there's a maintenance side. And, and really, if you think about uh, almost any property management business, that's the, at the basic part. That's what it is. There's an admin, leasing, rent collection, going units. And then there's a maintenance, you know, getting those units turned over, rehab, and, and maintaining them once they're occupied. So on that director level, we have a director of admin and a director of maintenance. And so once we got to that third level, which took years, it took probably until 2017 or 2018 that we got there. Once we got to that level, it really helped the business run without me, which allowed me to be free to go find one of the two most important things, finding deals and finding money and worked towards those. And that's how we, I was able to grow this. Enlightened investors will be right back after this important announcement. I have a big ask that will only take a moment of your time. Ratings and reviews are the lifeblood of our podcast. So to leave a review, iPhone or other Apple iOS device users, go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes. For all you non-Apple device users, go to podchasers.com. 
On either platform, search for Real Estate Investing Abundance. Once found, please leave a review and a rating. Subscriptions are also vital to our show's success, so please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. It is free to subscribe, and you can unsubscribe at any time. Well, thank you for sharing that example. Josh, before we go into our last segment here, tell our viewers and listeners how they can get in touch with you. Sure. Um, you can reach me via email, josh at epicpm.com or on our website, uh, epicpropertymanagement.com. There's a contact us button. All righty. Well, Josh, share with us one of your most difficult setbacks in life and how did you come through that time? And what did you learn from that experience? You may have already shared that with sharing your 2008 experience. And that's fine if you want to delve deeper into that, or maybe there's another experience in life you'd like to share with us. Yeah, you know, I think that 2008 uh, was certainly one of the most difficult times. Probably the most frustrating or, or hardest to overcome was actually building a business that I was proud of that I couldn't figure out how to get out of the day-to-day. And so, you know, when I talked about how we, we built the company up, that didn't just happen as easily as the story comes out now. There was a lot of, of challenge getting myself to give up the reins I really needed to. And then coming up with the systems and the procedures and the operations manual that, that was going to allow us to, to run the way we do. So, you know, behind the scenes today, some of the innovative stuff that you alluded to later is we've got our own custom management software that runs alongside our, our standard software we use. We use a building on which is industry standard. And that's been developed completely in-house. This custom software gives all of our maintenance tags, iPads out of the field. Um, it allows us to run turnover checklists and, and improve that efficiency. So those iPads are real-time reporting back to the office and we can move that turnover along, things like that. So what was, you know, started as a huge challenge to be able to to grow the business and make the business autonomous has ended up resulting in what I think what makes us the most innovative company around. I, I don't think there's a management company that, that does what we do the way we do it. And, and I think that we are by far the most efficient and high quality operation, at least in this market. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. For our last question today, imagine that you have come to the end of your life. And as you lay on your deathbed, what do you look back on your life was your greatest sense of joy and satisfaction? Oh, it's got to be my daughters. So, you know, that's that's the reason I do it every day to have something to, to hand down to them. It's, you know, it. it if I can build a business that they can, that will survive generations, uh, I think that's a success. Well, Josh, it has been a pleasure visiting with you today, and thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steed Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steed Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steed Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at Steed talker.com.